sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to hour number two. Morning after live right here on this Wednesday on SportsGrid. Sirius XM Channel 1. 59. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz Network, that is Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday. Just about an hour and a half away until conference tournament college basketball action begins on your Wednesday. And it rolls deep into the late night hours, into the early morning hours of a Thursday as well. We will continue to preview everything in conference championship week in college basketball in our number two including with the man that knows this is march and that we sleep in may better than anybody else out there that is john rothstein later on in hour two it's the fifth major of the pga tour season unofficially of course at the players championship this week at tpc sawgrass cam rogers will join us a little bit later on and we'll get the perspective on what is happening in Baltimore with the ongoing negotiations and conversations now that the Ravens have placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. But we start with baseball. Yes, baseball. Sure, spring training has gone on, but now we take a small pause to focus on the World Baseball Classic that began late last night with Cuba and the Netherlands. We'll get to the recap of the game in just a moment, but before the tournament got underway, here were the pre-tournament odds. The Dominican Republic, the favorites to win the 2023 WBC, plus 220. And the Dominican's roster is absolutely stacked. I mean, stacked. We're talking Manny Machado, Rafael Devers, Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto, Aloy Jimenez, and that's just in their offensive lineup. Sandy Alcantara, the reigning National League Cy Young winner of the Miami Marlins leads their staff. Christian Javier of the Houston Astros World Series starting staff last year. They are stacked, but so is Team USA. Mike Trout, Pete Alonso, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Kyle Tucker, Adam Wainwright, Lance Lynn, some veteran arms there for Team USA as well. And Japan, when you have Shohei Otani, Anything is possible, as well as Roki Sasaki, who last year in the Japanese League nearly threw back-to-back perfect games and will be a prospect to keep an eye on. Cuba, as you saw there, with a 50-to-1 price to win the tournament, was a favorite to win their opening game against the Netherlands, minus 172 on that money line. However, the Dutch say not so fast. 4-2 to the victory for the Netherlands yesterday, and Cuba's roster Pretty good as well. Joanna Cespedes back for Cuba. Luis Robert also there for the Cubans, but they go down to the Netherlands in their opening game. Plus 140, cash that ticket for the Dutch in their opening game over the Cubans late last night. Cuba had meddled in all five Olympic games that have featured baseball, not the start they were expecting in Group A because pre-tournament, Cuba was favored to win their group, that group action in the World Baseball Classic here in 2023. But the Netherlands did have the second best price before the tournament got underway at plus 250. That will look a lot shorter now that the Netherlands have won their opening game against the Cubans. Right now, in the bottom of the eighth, a live update for you as Chinese Taipei takes on Panama. Panama! 
the underdog in this matchup, leading 12-4 at last check. So early on in the 2023 WBC, the underdogs have gone Barking. A welcome to our Sports Grid radio audience here. The second hour of the morning after, live right here on this Wednesday. Sirius XM, Channel 159. All of our radio terrestrial affiliates now in the mix as well. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday. The 2023 World Baseball Classic is now officially underway. Team Cuba losing to Team Netherlands. The Dutch pulling off a slight upset 4-2 in the opening game of the 2023 WBC. Right now, Panama has a 12-4 lead over Chinese Taipei as Group A action is underway. Let's take a look at Team USA. Break down the odds for the Americans even a bit more. We told you of the roster. Big names like Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Pete Alonzo, Paul Goldschmidt, as we continue to go on and on. Some veteran arms that you well know from your days of following Major League Baseball. Adam Wainwright, Lance Lynn, Mike Trout, of course, a member of this roster. For Team USA, they are heavily favored to make some noise. They are the favorites to win Group C, minus 360, tied for the second-best price alongside Japan at plus 260, only 40 cents behind the Dominicans, who are favored to win the 2023 W. B C. So that's where the World Baseball Classic stands right now on the opening day of action. We'll talk about it more throughout the run in this tournament as we get ready for Major League Baseball. A ton of focus in collegiate athletics is on college basketball. The men's NCAA tournament, the women's big dance as well. But soon we will focus more so on college baseball. Let's look at those 2023 college world series odds as it will come to a head in the middle of june with the omaha eight for the cws the top five odds right now almost exactly follow the rankings lsu is number one in the country they're the favorites to win the national championship however stanford checks in at number two in the college baseball top 25 tennessee is number three but the fall is a slightly shorter price the second best number ahead of Stanford. That's how things stand in college baseball. A huge day in the National Football League offseason yesterday that now sets the stage for the rest of this offseason with the biggest storyline, potentially the rest of the way. The quarterback conversation for Baltimore. What's the future with Lamar Jackson? We break it down next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the Morning After. Live right here on this Wednesday on SportsGrid. I am Ben Stevens. But Tuesday in the National Football League was franchise tag deadline day, a day that will now set the landscape for the rest of this National Football League offseason. And with one of the biggest stories yesterday, the Baltimore Ravens placing that non-exclusive franchise tag on quarterback Lamar Jackson ahead of the deadline. Kyle Phoenix Barber joins us live right here on the morning after for his reaction. Kyle is the managing editor for Baltimore Beatdown of SB Nation, a contributor to BaltimoreRavens.com as well. Kyle, we really appreciate your time here on this Wednesday morning is what I'm sure was a busy past 24, 36 hours or so ahead of that deadline yesterday. 
I mean, it's been a busy week with the scouting combine and the rumors flying around the entire time. Uh, and I'm happy a little bit just to see that we have a result. Uh, it might not be the one that the fans want necessarily, but it's been good to be able to talk about it. We knew that entering the deadline yesterday, Kyle, there would be some clarity one way or the other. A long-term contract extension, perhaps agreed upon by Lamar and the Ravens front office. No, but that non-exclusive franchise tag now placed on Lamar. Of course, Kyle will spell it out for people here. What that non-exclusive tag means is that Lamar Jackson, starting next week, a week from today when NFL free agency officially begins, can hear from other NFL teams that are allowed to offer up a contract. Baltimore then, Kyle, can match that offer or decline it in return for two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. So knowing that we have that clarity now, Kyle, what has been your assessment of how this process has played out between the Ravens brass and Lamar Jackson? Well, I think the biggest thing is that the Ravens clearly know what Lamar Jackson's value is, and they tested the market uh, in conversations with other general managers or owners, I assume, to find out what teams are feeling regarding his value and the confidence in being able to place the non-exclusive franchise tag on him because they're confident in what other teams are wanting to sign him for or would if they were willing to sign him. And it is clear that uh, they gauged his market correctly because instantly and within hours of you know the, the, the announcement of the non-exclusive franchise tag that numerous teams are out on Lamar Jackson, even though it doesn't cost them anything to communicate with him. They are out or they're not interested in, in the negotiations. And it shows that the Ravens are so far justly correct that they want to offer a certain amount of money for his contract for a long-term deal and though lamar jackson has not accepted what they've offered over the past 25 months nothing has come from these negotiations and the opportunity to sign with anybody else is clearly uh not as interested as lamar jackson maybe has uh hoped for Kyle, I think that's a really important point as well. It's not just this offseason, the past couple of weeks or the past couple of months. It's been an ongoing thing for the better portion of the past two NFL seasons. Now, you mentioned those other NFL organizations that almost immediately at 4.01 p.m. Eastern time following the conclusion of that franchise tag deadline came out and said, hey, we're not interested in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes many conjectured why that could potentially be is it Lamar Jackson reportedly offering or asking for I should say a ton of guaranteed money in this long-term contract that he would like is it because Lamar has only played 12 games each of the past two NFL seasons and maybe some injury concerns out there for the 26 year old Zach ultimately why do you think other NFL teams have said hey we're good on Lamar Jackson I think it's a combination of the contract and passing up two first round picks and securing a what is many expected to be a fully guaranteed deal. There's reports that Lamar Jackson wants a fully guaranteed contract. He wants something similar to what Deshaun Watson is request, you know, what was signed to, which was a big deal and was mm -hmm. uh, in, in total nothing out of, you know, completely out of the ordinary. The circumstances surrounding Deshaun Watson's deal were extraordinary, and yet afterwards, no team has signed a similar deal, and numerous quarterbacks have been signed since. So attaching yourself to a signed contract like that 
long-term deal is risky and that's even to what the Ravens have you know suggested and, and not signed him to so that defines just how much Lamar Jackson uh, there, there's there's volatility in signing a fully guaranteed deal such as that and I think teams are wary of it along with handing over two first round draft picks and yeah. the uncertainty surrounding the contract negotiations and dealing with Lamar Jackson directly as contract negotiations as he does not have an NFL agent, that causes this thing to be a bit more challenging. Eric DaCosta has spoken about it. The Ravens general manager has spoken that the challenges of negotiating with directly with a player are unique and different with each and every one. He's done so with Ed Reed. He was in part of that when Ed Reed was uh, working with uh, the Baltimore Ravens and working his own contracts with Ozzie Newsom, of course, as GM there, but also with Roquan Smith. He was able to work with him and get a, a deal done, but it's different with every single player and the negotiation strategies are different and operating under that makes for more challenging circumstances, uh, especially when you have a former league MVP. And that is the case, right, Kyle? We are talking about a 26-year-old quarterback, still very much in his prime, that was a former league MVP in 2019, a historical season for Lamar Jackson. When he ran for more than 1,200 yards, a single-season record for the quarterback position in the National Football League. So Zach, or for Kyle, excuse me, ultimately here, as you look at what the rest of this offseason holds, where do you think Lamar Jackson will play his football in 2023? It does feel like the Baltimore Ravens will be his team for the 2023 season. There's still challenges regarding their cap space right now. I believe they're about 5 to $9 million over the cap because of the non-exclusive tag. Had it been the exclusive, it would have been far higher, about $13 million more. And then the roster adjustments and challenges surrounding that would have been far more significant. So this made sense from their standpoint of if... They, they were unable to, I think, hang on to him had it been the exclusive tag, and I would have more have expected a trade. But that interest has not been shown, you know, at least reportedly and publicly. Mm -hmm. And instead, the Ravens have an opportunity to do a little bit more on that roster with the lower cap hit of $32 million instead. So I think that Lamar Jackson is going to stay a Raven, at least for the 2023 season. When you look at the odds, too, as well, Kyle, second best to win the AFC North, only 65 cents behind Cincinnati. 11-1 to 1 to win the AFC Championship, tied for the fifth shortest price. Those two numbers make it seem like Baltimore would certainly be a contender in 2023. So, Kyle, what do you think the outlook is for this upcoming NFL season for Baltimore if Lamar Jackson is back playing quarterback? It's hard to imagine the Baltimore Ravens not being in the playoffs if you have Lamar Jackson on your roster. Even for the short amount of games that he has been the past two seasons, they still made the playoffs once, and they looked like a dynamo. Uh, they have a talented offense. They have a, an astounding defense that only appears to be getting better as they added in Roquan Smith, and he'll be a full year into the system with defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, and they have a great defensive class with Marcus Williams. They have Kyle Hamilton, the rookie, who was one of the top-rated safeties last season. So pairing that with Lamar Jackson, with a new offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin, whose system looks to be beneficial for Lamar Jackson as a player and a passer, in combination with the playmakers that they do have with Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards, things look up for this roster, but there are definitely worries about it. You know, How much can Todd Munkin improve this passing game when there are few wide receivers on the roster that have demonstrated the culpability to be LFL caliber. So there are some challenges surrounding this, but overall, this is a team that could win 10, 11 games with ease. 
Kyle, quickly here, only about 30 seconds left. What do you expect the relationship between Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore front office to be like if, in fact, he is back with the Ravens in 2023? I think it's going to be, of course, challenging and wary, but overall, this is the decision that the team made, and if they couldn't come to a conclusion after 25 months, it makes sense. Kyle Phoenix Barber, the managing editor for Baltimore Beatdown of SB Nation, a contributor to BaltimoreRavens.com as well. Kyle, we really appreciate your time and your insight here on this Wednesday on the morning after. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on, Ben. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle, for your time. It is the fifth an unofficial major on the PGA Tour. The Players' Championship, a preview with Cam Rogers, next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It is Players' Championship Week on the PGA Tour. The unofficial fifth major on the tour every calendar year, which means more key names in the field at TPC Sawgrass, one of the more famed venues across the entire sport. Welcome back to this Wednesday, live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. I am Ben Stevens. If it is Players' Championship Week, if it is that unofficial fifth major, that means Cam Rogers joins us here for some PGA Tour plays as well. Cam, of course, the host of the Lock It In podcast for Believe, joining us here to break down the Players' Championship. Cam, thank you so much for your time and your insight, as always, live right here on this Wednesday. Great to be with you, sir. I feel like this tournament like smacked me in the face. It like sort of just came out of nowhere. Like we are hitting this very exciting stride of the golf season. That is for sure along the Florida swing. Last week at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Now into that unofficial fifth major at the stadium course at TPC Sawgrass. Cam, of course, known for the Pete Dye design and that famed 17th hole, the Island Green par three cam as the golf better wants to examine the players championship this week here in 2023 what do they need to know about the players stadium course and how it could benefit some golfers in the hunt for that players championship trophy great job by the team in the studio there finding the picture of 17 great stuff right there listen Ben, this is a second shot golf course it's all about your approach game and precision off the tee that is the calling card of Pete Dye Design Golf Courses. Consistency, maybe even conservative play off the tee, and then being precise with your irons. Here's the real calling card if we're talking about TPC Sawgrass in particular. Approach shots beyond 200 yards because there are these landing areas off the tee here that really don't allow you to go any farther. You have these dog legs and what have you, so everybody's in the same bucket off the tee, and that means long iron shots into these greens. You look at the past winners here and their ranks within strokes gained approach for the week. Cam Smith, fifth. Justin Thomas, fifth. Rory, sixth. Webb Simpson was 92nd, but his short game was majestic that week. Siwoo Kim, 16th. Jason Day, ninth. What's the theme, Ben? iron game for that given week if you are not sharp with your approach shots you're going to struggle at tpc sawgrass so i'm putting a lot of stock into recent form in strokes gained approach here this week the number one player over the last 24 rounds 
one Xander Shoffley. Keep an eye on him. If it is, quote-unquote, Cam Rogers, the fifth major on the PGA Tour schedule each and every year, of course, we are going to see some of the best and brightest in the world of golf. There has been a ton of conversation, really, in the past year, but even in the last two weeks about these elevated, designated events where we will see the best golfers on planet Earth more often in smaller fields competing for championships. That will be on display here at the 2023 Players' Championship. Rory McIlroy, the favorite, plus 950. Scotty Scheffler, 10 to 1. John Rahm, just behind, an 11 to 1 price. The reigning Players' Champ, Cam Smith, pretty not that good. He will not be in the field this week as he is now <laughs> a live golfer. So, Cam, as you look at the Players' Championship outright, odds with the biggest names in all of the world of golf who do you expect to have the biggest week at the players championship i'm trying to contain my laughter because that quote is all time from cam smith yeah a little awk that he's not there here this week at the players you know ben the outright winner used to be a little bit random like we had tim clark back in 2012 martin keimer came out of nowhere back in 2014 but the last few years it's been fairly chalky. Cam Smith, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, all of them were inside the official World Golf Ranking Top 10. So, you know, in that vein, you can sort of look toward the top of the board to find the eventual winner. I like the 20s to 1, the 30s to 1 in particular this week. John Rahm scares me because he did not play well on the weekend last week. Patrick Cantlay, you're looking for his first top 10 here at the uh, Players' Championship, so still waiting on him. Same with Max Homa, not a great resume at this golf course, so I'm going down the board into that mid-range a little bit. But yeah, if you want to lay something on a favorite this week, I think Rory makes the most sense. You get that plus 950 number. Obviously, he's the favorite there, and not the biggest payout in the world for an outright number, but there you go. So there we see your pick, Cam Rogers, Tony Finau, to win the 2023 Players' Championship. I have been watching the Netflix docuseries called Full Swing following the PGA Tour last year. The knock against Tony Finau has always been in his career, one of the most talented golfers on the PGA Tour, unable to close out events, certainly those bigger events, like the Players' Championship or any of the major championships. So, Cam, why is this week the week for Tony to sit on top of the world of golf? I would not be picking him on your show, Ben, if I did not see the wins toward the end of last season. And we saw them finally, and we saw them consistently. And that tells me this guy stays hungry. He can stay consistent in terms of top tens and what have you. And that means he doesn't lay back after a really good week, right? He can keep it going. And I think it continues here this week at the Players' Championship. Fifth in this field in strokes gained approach over the last 24 rounds. He His lead in form is sparkling. Six straight top 25 finishes, four of which are top 16. His best finish here, T22, back in 2019. So leaving some to be desired there. But 2019, Tony, then, a lot different than 2023, Tony Finau. I like this number a lot at 28-1. to 1. Keep an eye on Mr. Finau to perhaps get it done here this week. One of the best guys on the PGA Tour as well. Yeah. I would be lying to you, Cam Rogers, if I said I did not get emotional watching Tony Finau's episode on that Netflix series, Full Swing. So with some of the best golfers in the world facing off against each other overall at the Players' Championship, of course, Cam, that leads us 
to match bets. As you evaluate match bets, knowing how talented and stacked the field is this week, what is the approach? Well, you know, for me, I always like to find those plus money values. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're willing to lay the juice. And I'm putting a lot of stock into Tony Finau this week, obviously. I think he gets it done over Tyrrell Hatton. That's one of my picks here this week. So keep an eye on that one. You're not laying too much juice there. Ricky Fowler over Corey Connors is a smart play. Keegan Bradley over Tom Kim. Patrick Cantley there, you see on your board, minus 148. Eh, that's too steep for me. I'd rather go with Max Homa in that department. I would lay some juice on Scotty Scheffler, minus 154, over Justin Thomas. I think he's struggling right now with his ball striking. Justin mm. Thomas is. You got Xander and Victor. I'm going to lay off that one, honestly, Ben. That's a pass for me. I love both of those guys here this week. I think they could be one and two, respectively. So I'll stay away there. But yeah, I think, you know, you can find some value in these matchup plays here this week for sure. Cam, we'll get to some of your more picks. Top 10, who you expect to have a good week, even if they don't win the entire Players' Championship. But of course, the famed 17th hole, the Island Green at TPC Sawgrass draws a ton of attention, and rightfully so. It's a short par three. You don't think it would be all that difficult, despite the fact the green is surrounded by water on all sides. Cam, a great prop bet on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Will somebody, anybody, throughout the entire four rounds this week at TPC Sawgrass, dunk it for a hole-in-one on number 17? Cam, what makes the 17th hole one of the most intriguing on the entire PGA Tour? Well, it's just iconic in the sense that, from a fan perspective, it's the stadium setup, right? Crowds can easily watch what's going on. You have unpredictable wind. You have what is, in theory a short hole. Ben, for us, we're watching it on TV, and I'm like, that's a pitching wedge. That's easy. Not so easy. So I dug into the numbers here, Ben. There have been 41 players' championships contested in history. There have been 10 holes in one. That's a slightly less than 25% clip. Here's why I think you should bet on a hole in one here this week. Weather looks pretty decent. There's rain on Friday, meaning, and I'm predicting this, on Saturday, on moving day, on a soft golf course where guys can fire at flags, there's going to be a hole-in-one. Bet on it. I love it. I love it, Cam Rogers. I have already bet on it with a profit boost at the FanDuel Sportsbook as well to make that plus money even a little bit more enticing. All right, Cam, you mentioned Xander Shoffley because of how well he has played with his irons here as of late. Take us through the card and a look at some of those finishing positions of who, who you anticipate having a solid effort at the 2023 PG or Players' Championship, excuse me. I really love Keegan Bradley here this week, guys, and you can get a really good number on him for a top 10. Coming off a top 10 at the API, he was runner-up at Torrey Pines. He won in the fall. Of the best 33 golfers at this event over the last five years, Ben, only Keegan Bradley has played all available rounds. That means he's never missed a cut here. He's the only one over the last five years. The elite iron player, I like him a lot. It's time to get serious about Ricky Fowler again, Ben. Mm. Iron play has made major strides, owns finishes of 11th, 10th, 20th, 31st over the last four starts. Of course, he won here back in 2015. So keep an eye on Ricky Fowler here this week. And of course, I like Shopley for a top 10 as well. Miscut prop, Jordan Spieth. 
Ben, he's been a mm. little erratic at the Players' Championship. Of the last seven starts here at the Players, he's missed five cuts. You're getting plus money on that number. I love Jason Day this week. He's coming in with fantastic form. He won here at the Players' Championship not too long ago. He, too, like Ricky Fowler, starting to find his stride again on the PGA Tour. And then you saw some matchup plays there as well. I like Keegan a lot. I like Ricky. And, of course, I like Tony Finau to get it done. The unofficial fifth major, the Players' Championship. Cam, thank you for the breakdown. More of the morning after. Up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to a Wednesday, live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. But not just any Wednesday. It is a Wednesday in March. It is a Wednesday during Conference Championship Week. And this is March, live on the morning after on SportsGrid. Without any further ado, FanDuel and CBS Sports' John Rothstein joins us live right here in the midst of of Conference Championship Week. As the high major conference tournaments have begun, they continue to roll on today. And John, in less than an hour, we have conference tournament action on this Wednesday morning as well. Thank you for joining us here on the morning after. John, it is the best time of the year. It is the best time of the year. This is March. And again, if you're not excited right now for not just what's ahead today, but what's ahead for the next three and a half weeks, you officially hate fun. You hate fun, and we do not like you here on the morning after either. John doing right. great work for CBS Sports. I was watching him in the pre, the half, the post-game show for the Colonial title last night. Charleston won, by the way, a 31-win basketball team entering the big dance. But, John, we focus on the high majors here to begin. The ACC tournament underway yesterday starting in Greensboro. We also get underway in Greensboro in just over an hour with my alma mater in the 8-9 matchup Syracuse a two and a half point underdog against Wake Forest but some pretty heavy hitters John getting underway in the ACC tournament on this Wednesday afternoon into the evening hours of this group starting today John at the ACC tournament who do you anticipate making the deepest run in the conference tournament North Carolina, and North Carolina is the team that I have labeled as the potential bid stealer to watch in the ACC tournament, and that's for obvious reasons, because we have a team that was picked as the preseason number one in college basketball who likely needs to win the ACC tournament and earn an automatic qualifier to feel comfortable on Selection Sunday qualifying for the NCAA tournament. North Carolina at this point last year already had on its resume a road triumph over Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Coach K's last home game. This team does not have that type of equity, so I expect North Carolina to play its best basketball over the next four days in the ACC tournament. John, UNC is in danger of being the first ever preseason number one team in the AP poll to miss out on the NCAA tournament. Do you think North Carolina needs to win the ACC tourney or will reaching the final in Greensboro be enough for the Tar Heels to be on the right side and into the field of 68? 
Is there a situation where North Carolina could make the finals of the ACC tournament and still find their way into the bracket if something else happens around the country? Absolutely. Other things, Ben, that could also happen around the country that we're not really talking about right now. As of right now, which is about 10.45 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday, we are looking at the bubble strictly as is. The thing that can change between right now and Sunday at 6 o'clock is the element of a bid stealer emerging. It could be New Mexico in Mountain West. It could be North Texas or UAB in Conference USA. Those are all plausible and realistic scenarios that could alter the back end of the bracket. But Ben, you know as well as I do, this is only Wednesday of Championship Week. It is only Wednesday of Championship Week. A ton of number one seeds in conference tournaments all around the country have already been knocked out. As John says all the time, in Conference Championship Week, beware of the bid stealers and how that changes what the field looks like come Sunday night when the bracket is revealed. John, as you look at the ACC, Duke enters the ACC tournament riding a six-game win streak, yet Miami is the top overall seed. How do you evaluate the rest of the field in the ACC tournament as they will get underway in the quarterfinal round tomorrow? Well, right now, I think we're looking at five teams that should be comfortably in the NCAA tournament out of the ACC. Obviously, Miami, Virginia, Duke, Pitt, NC State, obviously in really, really good position to make the NCAA tournament. Carolina is the team, obviously, that is going to drag people in from the periphery of interest. And Clemson would need to do serious work in this tournament to play its way into the at-large picture. I'm not saying it can't happen, but Clemson has a lot of work to do and would need help elsewhere around the country. That's one thing if you're a bubble team. If you are in this situation, sometimes it's not just winning your conference tournament and advancing deep in that bracket. It's also getting the necessary help from elsewhere around the nation. And that is a huge component of this all, including in the Big 12 Conference. The tournament starting today in Kansas City. Two matchups for us, John. West Virginia taking on Texas Tech. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. The Cowboys in a matchup of basketball in Bedlam might need to keep it going in the Big 12 to get into the NCAA tournament. John, ultimately, out of the 10 teams that play in the deepest conference in college basketball this year, that being the Big 12, how many do you think make their way into the field of 68 and the Big Dance? Oklahoma State right now is the first team out in my bracket at FanDuel, which I will be updating daily from now until Selection Sunday. I will have a fresh 68-team bracket every single morning for us at FanDuel. So Oklahoma State still has some work to do. You know, this is the thing we need to look at, and I said this last night on CBS Sports Network, Ben. When you are a bubble team, whether it's Oklahoma State, whether it's Arizona State, in order to cement your place comfortably in the bracket, you need to win multiple games in your respective conference tournament. So my answer would be for teams like Oklahoma State, Arizona State, Wisconsin, even a team like Michigan in the Big Ten that I have as the fifth team out of the bracket right now, you have to win multiple games. I don't even think these teams will have much of a conversation if they don't win at least two games in their respective conference tournaments. If they win one, they'll probably be sweating on Sunday. John, from the Big 12 to the Big East, not far away from us here in Midtown Manhattan, inside the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, the host for the Big East Tournament, where over the years, we have seen absolute chaos. Speaking of teams that need to make a run through their conference tournament, Villanova underway tonight as an 11-and-a-half point favorite against Georgetown. John, what is your expectation for what we will see this week at MSG in the Big East Conference Tournament? 
Well, you know, I think the Thursday game between UConn and Providence might be the most intense game that we see during championship week, just because, let's face it, Dan Hurley and Ed Cooley are not going to be getting together in Newport at the Brick Alley Pub for nachos this summer. You know, these are two guys that have great mutual respect, but aren't going to be on each other's Christmas cards list. So that game on Thursday is going to be something upon itself. But, you know, Ben, you and I are kindred spirits, and we both grew up with the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden as being the premier event during championship week. It was second to none. And I think that the Big East this year, even though it's only in position to get five teams in the NCAA tournament, has played a brand of basketball that's been as aesthetically pleasing as any conference in college basketball. So I think if we get a Friday night with Marquette, against either Providence or UConn, and then Xavier against Creighton on the other side, that Friday night feel at the Big East tournament will be extra special. And I think we should point out, this conference has been as good as it's been this year, and you don't have an NCAA tournament team at Villanova, you don't have an NCAA tournament team at St. John's, and you don't have an NCAA tournament team at Georgetown. So if you are the Big East office, if you can recalibrate arguably some of the strongest brands in your league, there's a high, high ceiling for this league still as a basketball-centric conference in what obviously is shifting towards, in college sports, a football-focused type of entity. And if you are in the Big East Conference, perhaps in the media relations department, check your email inbox, maybe from a media credential request from one Ben Stevens as he tries to take in the atmosphere at Madison Square yes. Garden this upcoming weekend. John, as you saw, UConn the favorite to win the Big East Tournament. They have entered on a five-game win streak, winners of eight of their last nine. But Marquette is that number one overall seed. As John and I detailed last week, the Golden Eagles' first outright Big East Conference regular season championship in school history. John, here's the beauty of Conference Championship Week. In just about 40 minutes, we have conference tournament action beginning. And yes. with leagues out on the West Coast, like the Pac-12, we'll have games into the wee hours of the night in the early morning hours of Thursday, including a team you highlighted initially that might see their bubble burst during conference tournament week, the Sun Devils of Arizona State. John, as the Pac-12 tournament starts today out on the West Coast as well, what is the game you will have the closest eye on? Well, it's definitely Arizona State, Oregon State, because there's bubble implications. And I also think the Colorado-Washington game is interesting because the winner of that game is going to square off with top-seeded UCLA on Thursday, and that will be the Bruins' first game without Jalen Clark. Now, I also want to point this out. K.J. Simpson, you know, one of the best players on Colorado, is out for the Pac-12 tournament due to an illness. Could that open up the door for Washington and you're obviously former brethren, Mike Hopkins, to get an opportunity Ooh. at UCLA. I think the story is this, you know, at the Pac-12 tournament. You know, we have seen teams suffer major injuries and still go to a Final Four and have a chance to win a national championship. UConn lost Jerome Dyson in 2009, still went to a Final Four. Michigan State still lost Kalen Lucas okay, in 2010, still went to a Final Four. Houston in 2021, so the American Athletic Conference preseason player of the year, Caleb Mills, transferred to Florida State, still went to a Final Four. And UCLA in 2021 lost Chris Smith to a torn ACL and still got to a Final Four. Who was the head coach of that UCLA team? Mick Cronin. Oh. Now, this is what we know. Mick Cronin has announced that Jalen Clark is out for the Pac-12 tournament with a lower leg injury. We don't know officially what it means beyond that. This is what I can tell you, Ben. 
UCLA cannot be the same team without Jalen Clark. They can, however, still be a really, really good team. And talking to their staff after the Arizona game, one of the things that happened after Jalen Clark went out, we saw a combination of Dylan Andrews and Will McClendon defensively, the two freshman guards, that really had an impact on Arizona's backcourt as disruptors. They're going to need 8 to 10 points a game from David Singleton, who I had as a finalist at collegehoopstoday.com last week for my National Sixth Man of the Year award. But UCLA doesn't have what it had, but it still has enough. And if you're evaluating the Bruins this week at the Pac-12 tournament, you want to evaluate the development of the growth of the bench of this team. Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon, Mac Etienne, who had six rebounds Saturday night against Arizona, and Obrama Zanka, who hasn't played much this season off the bench, but I think will get an opportunity to fill that wing defender role. He's a prospect out of Italy. John, UCLA, the Pac-12 regular season champions, the second most efficient defense in all of college basketball, Jalen Clark, the Pac-12 defensive player of the year. How does UCLA respond? A team right now tied for the third best price at plus 220 on the FanDuel Sportsbook to reach the final four. Quickly here, John Rothstein, you are speaking to Big Ten Ben. I expect chaos this week in Chicago, knowing how up in the air this conference was all regular season long. It feels like, John, maybe anybody outside of Minnesota can go on a run in the Big Ten tournament. Just how much madness will we see in the Big Ten tourney in Chicago this week? Expect anarchy. Expect chaos. Expect seeds to be absolutely meaningless. Expect the unexpected at the Big Ten tournament. And am I saying that I could see a situation where we see lower-seeded teams have the potential to win in every single round they play? Yes, you want to know Because it's not anarchy. It's just college basketball. The Big Ten in 22-23, a conference where the story might be written until deep into the NCAA tournament because it's a league that has put 18 teams into the last two NCAA tournaments and only three have gone to the second weekend. The Big Ten will write its story in the next couple of weeks. But for this week, there's only one word to describe this conference, and that's anarchy. Take us to break. John Rothstein, incredible work. More of the morning after. Next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out our two hours together. You're live on this Wednesday on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, Channel 1. Five, nine. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM, all across the Sports Grid Network as well. I am Ben Stevens. On this Wednesday in March, in the middle of conference championship week, you can feel it in your bones that this time of year in the sports calendar feels significant as conference tournament action rolls on all around the country. John Rothstein, the man that bleeds this is March and that we only sleep in the month of May came on and detailed everything at the high major level the SEC tournament also beginning today in Nashville there's also more tickets to be punched tonight perhaps for the NCAA tournament including in the Patriot League where there is an absolute wagon that could make a little bit of noise as a Cinderella mid-major team come the NCAA tournament beginning 
next week. So that is our focus before we say farewell and before we say goodbye. It's time for a college basketball best bet. It is time for bye-bye-bye. As we get ready to roll into Selection Sunday, in the field of 68, I anticipate to see Colgate in there as the champions of the Patriot League. Colgate tonight in the Patriot League tournament final takes on Lafayette. Now, there's been some chaos on the other side of the bracket away from the Raiders, that being Lafayette, the number six seed in the conference tournament, a team that enters with an 11-22 and record all the way here into the final. Now, Colgate is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. That is a hefty expectation for a conference tournament championship with a spot in the NCAA tournament online but Colgate has been booked as a double-digit favorite in each of its two wins so far in the Patriot League tournament and they have covered winning by at least 17 points in both games Colgate laying 13 and a half to cover and to advance into the NCAA tournament tonight in the Patriot League final against Lafayette that does it for a Wednesday live right here on the morning after we'll be back on a Thursday starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time I'm Ben Stevens we'll talk to you.